This is the DevSecOps Days Podcast. DevSecOps Days Podcast is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to conceive, develop, acquire, operate, and maintain applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically control open source risk. This is Mark Miller, Editor-in-Chief and host of the DevSecOps Days podcast series. Thank you for your continuing support. Please subscribe to the broadcast on DevSecOpsDays.com in order to receive notice of newly published broadcasts and to leave comments on the broadcasts. On today's show, we have Edwin Kwan from Tyro Payments in Australia. How are you doing, Edwin? I'm doing great, thank you. Yes, I haven't seen you since DJ and I came down last July. Yeah, that was a while ago. I think that was when we uh, got the idea for the book. The book. <laughs> yeah, the yes, book. The book. For, let's back up just a step before we start into the book. I want you to explain a little bit about what Tyro Payments is because you guys came at it from a different angle than most people. Yep. So Tyro Payments is a, uh, it's a bank in Australia. We started out as an acquiring company. So what that means is we were focused on card payments. So we had terminals that does credit card payments. Um, we eventually went and we got a full banking license. But I guess what is interesting about Tyro is we see ourselves as a tech company with a banking license. So we're very tech focused. And, and my role is I'm an application security team lead. So I've got a team that actually looks after application security at Tyro because that's, that's pretty big for us. It was interesting when you and I talked through the process initially about how Tyro got started. You guys were a payment processing system and then decided you had to move in another direction to expand the business. Is that what happened? Yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, what actually happened was that the uh, we had a license to do um, to payments processing and that was coming up for renewal. And we were told that, hey, we're not going to renew your license. If you want to continue operating, uh, you either got to piggyback off one of the banks to do that or become a bank yourself. And then we thought to ourselves, well, let's become a bank. It's interesting when DJ Schleen from Aetna and I went down to see you, we were able to meet with you and your development team down in Sydney. How large is that team? Oh, oh we've grown quite a, big, a bit now. So the development team, I believe, is about maybe 140, 150 thereabouts. I'm not exactly sure, but it's around that ballpark. That's a significant growth since I saw you in July. Yeah, yeah, we've grown, we've, we've grown quite a bit. When you and I and DJ and Stefan and Fabian were in Singapore, we had a discussion around some beers about how do we best get the message out of what we're all doing with DevSecOps. And you guys came up with the idea, why don't we write a book? Yeah, yeah, that, that was that was really good. Uh, yeah, that was a, a spur of the moment idea. So we were having beers and we were sharing ideas, as you do, about what we were doing, and we were talking about what are some of the initiatives that we were about to to undertake, and we're giving each other pointers. It's like, oh, we did what you're doing. We did that a few years ago, and this is what we learned, and this is the mistakes that we made. And we're like, oh, that's so useful. It's good to actually learn from other people's mistakes 
before you begin on your journey. So you kind of won't repeat those mistakes. And we're, um, we're just sharing ideas, bouncing off each other, like the things that we all thought was going to work, but uh, failed miserably. So I think that was the idea of the book that, hey, uh, if, we could, if we were benefiting from this discussion, why don't we share the ideas of the mistakes that we made so that other people would benefit from that too and not make the same mistakes that we did. Out of that discussion came the book, Epic Failures in DevSecOps. There are eight authors in the book, including you, Aubrey Stern, Caroline Wong, Cheetan Kaneki, Chris Roberts, DJ, Fabian, and Stefan. Your chapter specifically has to do with threat modeling and you had a disaster. You actually named your chapter Threat Modeling a disaster. Where did that come from? When we decided to do a threat modeling, we we obviously did some research. We looked it up, and we found uh, it's just from the internet and, and like and, and the consultants were like, "Hey, this is going to work. This is the way to do it." So we implemented exactly what we saw uh, or what was recommended to us, and we thought it was going to be great. But it was just a total disaster. It was it was one of the worst things. Uh, that we have implemented and we've, we've, we've since learned from it. Yeah, it was an eye-opener right from the beginning. Like we didn't see the signs, but then after a while it became pretty clear that people weren't doing threat modeling, they hated it. Uh, it essentially became a really bad word to say. When you say threat modeling, it has just negative connotations to everybody. It's like, ah, oh, not again. So yeah, it was really bad. There are three lessons in your chapter that you laid out. Let's go through those three one at a time and talk through the process here. Your first lesson is demonstrate value at the buy-in. I think that was the fundamental, one of the fundamental reasons why the threat modeling approach that we took failed. We implemented it and we say, hey, you have to do it. And the developers were, were looking at it and going, hey, you wanted to write a document. Uh, and think about the threats. Uh, they, they couldn't see the value in it as to why they, they were doing that. We were working in an agile fashion where the document went out of date very quickly and they're like, so why am I writing this? And it was taking a long time. So they just didn't see why we're doing this. The, the why was not really answered. Like we didn't, we didn't do a good job as to why we're writing this and, and how is that making us more secure just by filling up a, a, a document. So demonstrating value is, was really important. It's interesting if you take that a little farther then, were you ever able to get buy-in? Initially we didn't, but then with our, our new approach of doing it, we got a lot more buy-in then. Like they started seeing value in it. It's like, oh yes, I can see, uh, because um, not to give away the whole thing in the book, but we went down a way where you define your trap model programmatically. So you write unit tests, to verify and assert certain conditions are true rather than just writing a document and checking the box. So they saw that as, oh, uh, not only is this saying that we're doing that, but so enforcing it. So if we were to make any changes in our code and we somehow inadvertently broke controls, the test would tell us. So they saw value in that. They're like, oh, yeah, it is doing something. It's actually checking that those controls are there. Where in this process of getting buy-in did you bring in upper management? So we had upper management buy-in uh, all along, but I guess was the how we, we went about getting it was, uh, was something that the teams did not agree on. For threat modeling itself, it didn't, wasn't really like an upper management 
having buy and kind of thing. So we knew we had to do something to demonstrate that because it's part of one of the uh, requirements that we had to meet. But the way we approached it was what people didn't buy in on. They didn't they didn't buy in on the the documentation approach for doing it. But when we moved to the the coding approach, they saw more value in that, and they're like, "Yep, that makes sense for us. That that kind of aligns with how we do things here at Tyro too." When you started working through the process here, your second point that you wanted to highlight was get early feedback. Yes, get early feedback. Uh, that would have highlighted this problem a lot earlier. Like when we were rolling out the the initial trend modeling approach. We've got one or two people involved, but we should have got more people involved earlier. And we did that when we changed our approach to use this programmatic approach. We got we invited teams to actually work with us. And I think by doing that, there's a sense of, hey, you know, I've I worked on this. And you get a bit of a you, you get a bit of a approval from the teams and uh, you get to make the changes and understand what uh, what worked well for their working style too. Where did security fit into this? Do you still have that security is outside the process? Did you have a security member on your team? How did that work out? So for security, so we've got a, an application security team that has, that's about five of us. And then for each engineering team, there is a security champion in there. When we started the trap modeling approach, we only involved, initially we involved one or two security champions. But then for the second, we've got a lot more people involved. And I think that was what made it successful. So we got more feedback from other people and also from different parts of development teams. So initially, we just focused on one particular team. And now we try different teams like the, the, the mobile team or, or the front end team and the back end team. So it works not just for one particular type of product, but for everybody. One of the things that Carolyn talks about in her chapter is the security person doesn't even get invited into the room, much less on the team. Did you recognize that as part of the problem you're going to have to deal with? I don't think it was as bad as what Carolyn said, but I think the trap modeling didn't help that cause. I think when we when we introduced the trap modeling and it was seen as, ah, oh, we're just taking a box for compliance and we definitely got uh, invited less often to the room after that. But I, I think we've, we've redeemed ourselves with the new approach. Well, I like to take so. Yeah, there's this whole thing where security is being integrated into the entire process now, which is interesting, instead of being the gatekeeper at the very end to say, hey, you can't do this. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like, And I, I think it's sort of very useful for, for other stakeholders, not just developers, even like the product managers and all, because these things might eat into your schedule. It will eat into your schedule. So it's good to know and to get security involved upfront and early to know, hey, what are the activities I need to do to get this particular project out? And then you can factor that in. There's also no surprises. I think that is what the, the biggest problems that we have is teams working on a project and then two weeks before they decide to do a security test. And so there are some findings that say, oh shit, we got this fundamental approach that we uh, decide to take on isn't going to work. It's less. It's not as secure. We have to rewrite everything, and I think that's what pissed people off quite a fair bit. Inviting security early allows you to identify that right at the beginning. By doing that, you can actually 
uh, if, if I'm a product manager, I can actually estimate that and I know how we're going and how we're tracking with our project. That leads directly to your third point, Edwin, which is automate as much as possible. And I would say an extension of that is automate as early as possible. Yeah, absolutely. The, so the approach that we went was we had it generated automatically based on unit test cases. And by automating in that, our trap model now is generated every time code gets changed. Uh, a, a new version of the application is being, when it's being built, there's a new trap model. So the document is done for you. You don't even have to think about it anymore. It's, it's all looked after. The only time you need to think about security is, well, if that test breaks because you've done something, which, which is good. Or if you're making new changes, then you might want to add more tests to it. So, and that aligns very closely with how developers work. If, if you're developing something, you write a unit test. You do test-driven development. You write a test for something, and that test gives you assurance when you're making changes that you haven't broken anything. It's the same for, for this trap modeling approach where you wrote a test, or there's a test that asserts that the security is there, so you can move safely and quickly knowing that if those controls were broken, the test would fail and I'll be and I'll be involved. One of the things that people ask all the time, and I'm sure that you get it as you're traveling around speaking too, is let's say that I believe in what you're saying. Let's start with the automation. How would I start an automation process? What's a cherry pick I can do right away to show the value of automation? Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? What's the first thing you could do for automation? Uh, What's the first thing you did? For the trap modeling, uh, the first thing that we did was, ah, okay, this is, this is a very easy one to actually start with. And this is where you can actually sell a lot of value from it. We were doing a lot of security testing, a lot of penetration testing on our applications. When we found some findings or some issues, we asked ourselves, is there a way we could write a test for this to automate it such that I would never repeat the same mistake ever again in this application or any application that I have. And I think that's one of the things that we did, which is, which, and you can start from that base because the benefit of that is you've discovered this application for one application and then all the other apps get to benefit from it through your discovery down there by automating it. That's very easy to sell the value for that too, because all engineers would go, that makes sense. And you, and if you start from that, you can just start with your most recent uh, security tests and just build up from there. That's, an, that's very interesting. I used to be a Perl programmer, and one of the things that Randall Schwartz said that he said, if you program something twice, you've programmed it one too many times. And it sounds as if you've got the same philosophy here. If we've made a mistake, that's okay. What we have to do is automate the future to not be able to make that mistake again. I really like that. Yeah. So that, that's like refactoring, right? So if you refactor something out and, and it's, it's the idea of let's not reuse uh, anything. Oh, not sorry. Not, let's not duplicate any code. So it's all about reusing components. I think it's an interesting concept because I haven't heard anybody state it that way. Everybody's looking to the legacy and trying to fix bugs and do all this stuff. Let's surface something fix what surfaced and then move forward and not do those mistakes again. That's fascinating. That's so true. Like when we started out uh, on this journey, we actually did a test 
we have a microservices environment. So we've got multiple microservices. So we started out with the ones on the perimeters, like the highest, the, the ones with the most risk, and we tested those. We found some, we had some findings in there. And what we found was that they were the same findings in all the apps because it was the same group of developers using the same bit of code. So they're reusing that, they're putting it in there. When we started this journey, we didn't have the resources in-house to do this testing. So we were paying external testers to come in and to test our stuff. And they were giving us the same findings each time. And we're like, oh, that's costing a lot of money to learn about the things that you already know existed somewhere else. So if you automate that, you actually save yourself quite a lot of potential costs in, in those testing stuff to get the same level of security assurance. No, that's a fascinating observation. It's the same team building multiple applications. So of course they're going to make the same mistakes if they're not corrected along the way. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely right. Like and, and developers they like to reuse stuff. If they wrote something in Java, there's a high chance that the next thing they do is going to be in Java. And that's the whole idea of open source, right? You, you have libraries, so you don't have to reinvent the wheel again. But the, I guess the downside for that is the same vulnerability is inherited in every single thing that you use. I've been talking to Edwin Kwan, who wrote a chapter on threat modeling in the new Epic Failures in DevSecOps. Edwin, always good to talk to you. I look forward to seeing you down in Australia when I come down in July. Looking forward to it. Yes, can't wait. This is the DevSecOps Days podcast. DevSecOps Days podcast is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to conceive, develop, acquire, operate, and maintain applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically control open source risk.